Let's see if we can get through this thing this morning. <clears throat> this week, most of some of you know my study habit or pattern. Uh, generally, uh, on a normal week, and this week was a normal week. Um, on Thursdays is my day to spend in in my office, kind of formulating and accumulating and putting on paper my Sunday morning sermon. Um, usually it takes several weeks of preparation to get there, but Thursday morning is my day to do that uh, for Sunday morning. <clears throat> and then I do the same thing Friday morning for Sunday night. That's just the pattern I use. And so this, this message was uh, born of uh, uh, several hours of prayer and and, and thinking and praying and meditating on uh, what God would have me to preach. And he led me to a message that I've entitled, Leaving a Legacy. Um, Mother's Day is, a, is a, um, a day that I think uh, leaving a legacy would be something that we would want to focus on. Um, during every election cycle, uh, politicians are always talking about the legacy that they want to leave. And I think it's uh, important that we as believers take time away to think about and to purposefully plan a legacy to leave. And as I was sitting in my office on Thursday morning, thinking about the legacy that my, my parents left me, the first three things that popped into my head were these three things. Love, hard work, and respect for others. Having no idea what was going to happen later in the week. What a legacy. As I sat there thinking about a legacy that I know my wife and I uh, desire to leave, our kids and our grandkids is a legacy of our passion for Christ. So this morning as we <clears throat> think about this idea of leaving a legacy, <clears throat> I want you to purposefully think of the kind of legacy you want to leave. Now, this applies to moms, mothers. This is Mother's Day. Uh, it applies to dads. It applies to all of us, whether we're parents or not. We are all going to leave a legacy. Think, I want you to think about this. We are all going to leave a legacy. Whether it's good or bad is up to you. 
but we're all going to leave a legacy. And what kind of legacy do you want to leave? Paul Myers wrote a book called, or entitled, uh, Unlocking Your Legacy. And this is what he had to say. He said, cost and self-sacrifice do not make something hard. Now, on the surface, that's kind of a strange statement, but he goes on to explain. Nobody feels sorry for an athlete who wins an Olympic medal, even though that person paid an incredible price through grueling effort be, uh, behind the scenes, denying himself or herself certain things, probably for several years, all for one hopeful brief moment of glory. The medal, once attained, minimizes every cost and self-sacrifice. He goes on, following God is similar in many respects. There are cost and self-sacrifice to be made. But that does not mean it is hard to follow God. Hard is when you compete but never win. Invest but lose everything. Work but receive nothing for your efforts. And show love but receive hate in return. When I compare my cost and self-sacrifice with that which I have already received and will receive in return, my cost and self-sacrifice are insignificant. As I read this the other day and allowed God to kind of let me absorb some of this, it makes perfect sense. Athletes sacrifice sometimes for years. But when they achieve their goal, that sacrifice doesn't, it's not sacrifice. And as we, this morning, let me challenge you to be thinking about your legacy. Our legacy is going to cost us, well, I'm getting ahead of myself, but our legacy is going to cost us something. Christ left us a legacy of love, compassion, and humility. Well, let me share just one event. In John chapter 13, verses 14 and 15, it says, If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that ye may do as I have done to you. What a legacy. So, did I tell you to turn to Second Timothy? Turn to Second Timothy. You should know these things. <clears throat> you should read my mind. That's what my wife says all the time. You should know what I'm thinking. 
I actually, I actually read her mind the other day, and I said, see, I know, I can read your mind. She says, yeah, not often enough. <laughs> can't win. Just can't win. <clears throat> Second Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> Let's start reading in verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, according to the promise of of life which is in Christ Jesus. To Timothy, my dearly beloved son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve for my uh, forefathers with pure conscience that without ceasing I have remembered, uh, I, I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day, greatly desiring to see thee uh, being uh, manifold of my tears, that I may be filled with joy. In verse 5, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that is in thee, which dwelleth first in thy <clears throat> grandmother Lois, and thy mother Eunice, and I am persuaded that in thee also. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for this day. Thank you for this time together. Thank you for the opportunity for our church family to come together around the Word of God. And Lord, I do ask that you would speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, and that you would help us to be more like you. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to call your attention to one word <clears throat> that Paul uses in verse 5. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith. The unfeigned. Unfeigned is, is an interesting word. It means uh, sincere or genuine um, or without hypocrisy. But more specifically, the, 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 the word, the, the English word sincere comes from a Latin word that means without wax. And I've talked about this before, but maybe, you know, you may be new and haven't heard this. But, but so let me explain what it means to be without wax. Back in the day that Jesus lived and Paul people would go to the market to buy pottery. And oftentimes the, the pottery, because of the, the, the delicate nature, particularly porcelain, uh, when they fire it, it is, it is very difficult to get a piece of porcelain um, to come out perfect without, without any kind of cracks in it. So what merchants would do is they would take wax and they would they would fill the cracks with wax. But you can see the potential problem here. What would happen in the Palestinian heat of the summer? <laughs> the wax would melt, and the cracks would be revealed, and the pots would what? Leak. Okay? So what would happen would be if, just say, for instance, you were going into the marketplace to buy you a new water pot, 
you would pick it up and you would look at it and you would ask the, the vendor, is this pot sincere? Is it without wax? And one of the interesting things <clears throat> is that in that day, the only way they could really tell if a piece of pottery did not have wax, it was to hold it up to the sun. And as they held it up to the sun, the bright sun, they would move it around and, and the, the, the wax, if, if there was wax in the piece of porcelain or pottery, uh, it would be revealed because of the, the different shades that would come through the pottery. And what Paul's saying here is, Timothy, your faith is without wax. What is Paul saying? Paul's saying, hey, I have, I have seen your life. I have, I have examined your life. I have held your life to the sun. Not the S-U-N, but the S-O-N. And Jesus Christ, the light of this world, has revealed that you are sincere in your faith. And as I was sitting in my office, God challenged me with, my, with this thought. How does my life compare to the Son of God? If you were to take my life and you were to, to hold it before the Son of God, would I be sincere? Or would there be wax in my life? Because the reality is this, we all know ourselves, do we not? And, and if we are honest with ourselves this morning, we have wax, do we not? We have areas in our lives that we kind of hide away so nobody else knows. And I sat in my desk at my desk on Thursday morning and I said, God, reveal the wax. Did I give you point number one? I hope you guys are bearing with me this morning, okay? <laughs> Point number one, uh, <laughs> a legacy uh, that is sincere or genuine. Same thing, sincere, genuine, same word. The faith of Timothy started with his grandmother. His grandmother had a sincere faith. Do you think that someone that wants to leave a good legacy always has a sincere Life? No. What does, what does, the, the, 
Let's see if I can get this way I want to say it. God is after one thing in your life. That's your heart. And if we will give him our hearts, although our lives will never be perfect, we can have genuine, sincere lives. There should, as parents, if you haven't figured this out, children know fake parents. If you don't believe me, ask your kids. They know. They know if you have wax in your life. I remember when Ashley was born. <clears throat> we, 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 we brought her home from the hospital. <clears throat> I was scared to death. How many, how many of you dads can, can, can feel my pain, okay? All right? I, I was scared to death. I, I, I am not kidding. I looked at Melanie and I said, what do we do now? She said, she looked at me with all the confidence in the world that she had. And she said, you know, Rick, God's given us a book that has all the answers. My first thought was, where's the book? <laughs> she said, the Bible, you dummy. I'm like, oh, that book. Oh, okay. I'm like, okay, we're diapers. Where where are diapers in here? I don't know. I just <laughs> I was scared to death. As parents, we made a lot of mistakes. But our hope and our desire was that our kids always knew that we were sincere in our attempt to raise them up and the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Because if you're a parent, I have some earth-shattering news for you. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to. But is your heart sincere? Are your motives pure? Our methods may not always be what they need to be. But where's your heart? Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Proverbs chapter 22 and verse 6 is a verse that oftentimes we quote <clears throat> uh, and we all understand. Train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. This is not a promise. This is a proverb, okay? That, uh, this, is, this is telling us that, hey, if we do the hard work, hopefully when that child is old, they'll choose to do right. And see, Timothy had the choice 
to follow in the faith of his grandmother and his mother, or he could have walked away from God. It was Timothy's responsibility. So number one, a legacy that is sincere or genuine. Number two, a legacy that takes time. It takes time to leave a good legacy. We see in these verses that it is a three-generational faith. It starts with his grandmother, Lois, who passed her faith to her daughter, Eunice, who passed their faith to their son, Timothy. Look at, can you put Proverbs 22, 6 back up, please? Thank you, Chris. What is the first verse in this, in the, what is the first word in this verse? Train. Train. What does, what is the implication of the word train? Hard work. Repetitive work. You know, uh, again, going back to the athlete who trains for the Olympics, they train and train and train and train what is, and, until things become second nature. Train. It took time for Lois to teach her daughter Eunice to trust God. Most likely, I, I don't know, most likely Grandma Eunice, her faith was probably born out of difficulty, hard times. But she learned to trust God through those difficulties. And she taught her daughter how to do that. Why, why is that so important that difficulty come into people's lives? Because difficulty is what shapes character. As a parent, how many of you have ever heard your kids say this? Okay, mom and dad, I am so sorry I doubted you. I will never do that again. I believe you and will never question you ever again. <laughs> no, kids don't do that. What do you have to do? You have to train and work and teach. Hours and hours and hours of teaching and training. Lots of mistakes and lots of tears. And let me say this, and there should be some apologies in there as well. My kids will tell you that there were times that we had to sit our kids down and apologize to them because we got it wrong. And there's nothing wrong with that. I read a story I wanted to share with you this morning about a a guy named Dr. Uh, Michael uh, DeBacke, I think that's how you say his name. On April 23rd, 2008, 
Dr. Michael DeBacke received the Congressional Gold Medal for his legacy in heart surgery. President Bush said this, his legacy is holding the, fra- the, 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 the fragile and sacred gift of human life in his hand and returning it unbroken. Dr. DeBacke invented many medical devices and operations performed, uh, excuse me, and, and uh, performed uh, the first successful heart bypass operation and saved countless lives. But this is where I want to get to. A little unknown fact is that his mother taught him to sew as a child. And he used that skill in developing new operations to save lives. He said this, My mother, my mother's teaching inspired me again in the early 1950s when I designed a, a graph for replacing the diseased aortic artery or something, I don't know. Um, anyway, he says, I chose then the new synthetic cloth Dacron and drew the design on, a, uh, on paper next, cut, the, cut out the fabric, finally put the prototype together at home on my mom's Singer sewing machine. My question is this, can you imagine teaching a little boy how to sew? I can't, I can't imagine teaching anybody to sew because I don't know how, okay? But I, I know that back when he was learning to sew, a lot of it was done by hand. And I cannot imagine the patience it would take to slow a boy down long enough to teach him how to sew. But yet she did. And she left a legacy with that young man that today is saving thousands upon thousands of lives. See, we never know. We never know what kind of legacy we're going to leave. Little did she know that the hours that she spent teaching that little boy how to sew would someday save the lives of thousands of people. Most of you know that I love statistics. So I want to share some statistics with you. Parents rate their inability to spend enough time with their family, uh, excuse me, with their children as the greatest threat to the family. Would you agree with that? Time is a big problem for families today. Would you agree with that? Okay. In a survey conducted by the Massachusetts, Matt, that place, okay. Uh, Mass, anyway, Massachusetts uh, Mutual Life Insurance Company. Man, that's a mouthful. 35% of the people interviewed, 35% pointed to time constraint as the most important reason for the decline 
in family values. I'm surprised it's not higher than 35%. Just saying. Another 22% mentioned the lack of parental discipline, while 63% listed family as their greatest source of pleasure. That's about two-thirds. Only 44% described the quality of family life in America as good or excellent. And only 34% uh, uh, expected to have a good or excellent family. That's sad. Why? According to this, the reason why is they're working too much. But the sad part is the next statement. Despite their expressed desire for for more family time, two-thirds, 66% of those surveyed said they would probably accept a job that required more time away from their family if it offered higher income or greater prestige. How very sad. What kind of legacy are you going to leave your kids? What kind of legacy are you going to leave, period? This survey shows that there's a huge lack of concern in the homes across our country today. Point number three. We have a legacy that is sincere or genuine, a legacy that takes time. How about a legacy that will cost you something. It's going to cost you something. How did Lois and Eunice have such strong faith? Again, it had to have been the struggles of life that they endured. And the fact that they learned how to trust God. Eunice, our our, uh, uh, Lois was able to teach this very precious truth to her daughter Eunice, who in turn taught it to Timothy. And when Paul looked at Timothy's life and he examined Timothy's life, he was able to say, well, actually God is the one who wrote the Bible. So God said that Timothy's faith was sincere. That's an incredible statement. As I thought about this idea of it costing us something, I thought of King David. King David is a very colorful figure in the Old Testament, to say the least. I I enjoy... uh, 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 studying David and and Peter, those are my 
Old Testament favorite and my New Testament favorite um, because David David made a lot of mistakes. But yet he was called the man after God's own heart. But David made a not-so-good decision. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, David orders, well, actually, I think it's in 23, but we're going to be looking in verse uh, chapter 24. But anyway, David, David gets full of pride. And he orders his general to number the people. In other words, he, he, he orders a census of Israel. But God had already told him not to do that. But he did it anyway. In 2 Samuel chapter 24, in verse 1, it says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he moved David against them to say, Go number the uh, Israel and Judah. And God had already told him not to do it, but because of David's sin, and I'm cutting the story really short here for time's sake, but because of David's sin, God brought a plague to the nation of Israel for three days. People were just dying like flies, just dropping like flies. And David, in 2 Samuel chapter 24, and verse 17, And David spake unto the Lord, when he saw the angel that smote the people, and said, Lo, I, I have sinned, and I have done wickedly. I, I love David if for no other reason that he always owns his sin. He always does. I appreciate that about him. But these sheep that have, uh, what have they done? Let thine hand, I pray thee, be against me and my father's house. And Gad came that day to David and said unto him, Go up. Rear an altar unto the Lord in the threshing floor of uh, uh, Aruna. Is that how you say that? Aruna? Close enough for, yeah, okay. Aruna, the, the Jebusite. And David, <clears throat> according to the saying of God, went up as the Lord commanded. And Aruna looked and saw the king uh, uh, and his servant uh, coming uh, on toward him. And Aruna went out and bowed himself before the king on his face upon the ground. And Aruna said, Wherefore is my lord the king come to his servant? And David said, To buy the, fleshing, the threshing floor of thee, to build an altar to the Lord, that the plague may be stayed for the people. And Aruna said unto David, let my lord the king take and offer up which seemeth good unto him. Behold, here be the oxen for, uh, for, the, uh, for burnt offering and the threshing instruments uh, and other instruments of the oxen for wood. All these things did Aruna as the king uh, uh, give unto the king. And Aruna said unto the king, The Lord thy God accept thee. And the king said unto Aruna, Nay, but I will surely buy it 
of thee at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offering unto the Lord my God of that which doth cost me nothing. So David brought the threshing, bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. And David built an altar unto the Lord and offered the burnt offering and the peace offering. But the Lord was entreated, excuse me, so the Lord was entreated for the land and the plague was stayed for Israel. My point is this. I love what David says here. He says, but I will surely buy it at a price. Neither will I offer burnt offering unto the Lord my God that which doth cost me nothing. If anything we do, we have to know that if anything is worth doing, it's going to cost us something. And for us to leave a legacy, oftentimes it will cost us something. And that's okay. That's okay. Because we're commanded to train our children. We're commanded to, to, to serve the Lord. It's going to cost us something. As I was thinking about this, I remembered what happened in 1999. Some of you probably don't remember, but in 1999, something incredible happened. Anybody know what that was? It's called the miracle on ice. Remember that? A couple smiles I see. The miracle on ice. In 1999, patriotism in our country was at a rock bottom. And something miraculous took place on the ice at the Winter Olympics. And that is for the first time, I believe it was the first time, the United States won the gold medal in hockey. But to get there, they had to beat the Russians. And, you know, again, you got to think of the, what was going on in 1999. Those of us that were alive know it was, it was the Cold War. And the, the Russians were, well, I say Russians, the Soviet Union were, were the enemy. And, and, and it was, and the, and the Russians, or the Soviets, the Soviet Union um, dominated hockey in the Olympics. But it was a bunch of misfits, college, college kids that were whipped into shape, that took on the Soviets so that they could move on to the gold medal round. A bunch of misfits that didn't even like each other. It's a great movie, by the way. If you ever want to watch the movie, it's a great movie. 
the coach was a guy named Brooks. And he worked on uniting them into one one machine. But it, it cost them something. Hours upon hours upon hours upon hours on the ice, over and over and over, running the running and doing well not running but skating, you know what I mean. Um, but oh hours upon hours upon hours upon hours to the point where they, they would literally get sick and throw up on the ice and they had to just keep right on going. Leaving a legacy cost them something. But do you think as they stood on the, on the platform and they were receiving the gold medal, do you think any of the players said, I hate my coach for making me do all that? No. Why? Because they had pulled off the miracle. But it cost them something. My question to you this morning, what price are you willing to pay for your legacy? Could be that some of us may have some habits that we need to lose. And maybe some of us have some new habits that we need to pick up and start doing like reading our Bible and praying and spending time with God and, 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 and being faithful to church and some other things. I, I don't know what it could be. That's not my job to tell you how to live your life. My job is to, sh- to show you that God loves you and he wants your heart. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? What kind of price are you willing to pay? The love of a mother has no equal. I can testify to that personally. My mom loved me unconditionally. There were many times that growing up, I don't want to share this story. Well, I'm going to share it anyway. When I was 18, okay, I was 18 years old. I officially was in the Navy. I just wasn't out of high school yet. I delayed delayed entry, but I had sworn into the Navy. I was in the Navy. I was an adult. And I I came home one Saturday afternoon. It may have been Sunday. I don't know. It was on the weekend. And my mom and dad had a party going on. They had people over the house and... You know, there are people everywhere, and, you know, I didn't know what was going on. But anyway, I walked in, and I said something smart aleck to my mom. Any of you all ever do that? Okay, good. Um, But I said something. I don't remember what I said, but I said something smart aleck to my mom. And my mom started yelling at me in front of all these people. And I'm like, and I said, I said, Mom. I said, I'd rather you whip me than yell at me. Well, that was a stupid thing to say. (laughs) Right there in front of all these people, she pulled my belt off and started wailing on me. 
and yelling the whole time. I did not win that battle, I'll tell you what. But what was my mom trying to do? Honestly, I, I say she, she, she didn't whip me, but you know what I mean. She didn't hurt me, just embarrassed the fire out of me. <laughs> but you know what? I'd never disrespected my mom again. Why'd she do that? Because she loved me. The love of a mother, there's no equal. Nothing on the face of the earth equals the love of a mother. You don't believe me? Get a mom mad at you sometime. It is not cool. Yeah, that, that, the, the, the mama bear thing, is that's a real thing. Yeah. So in closing, my hope and prayer is that your desire this morning is to leave a godly legacy for everybody that you come in contact. Not your, not, again, this is not just for moms, it's not just for dads, it's for all of us. What kind of legacy do you want to leave? Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you. Thank you for this day. And Lord, thank you for the word of God that can, can challenge us in our thinking, that can prick our hearts and that can change our lives. And Lord, as we bring our service to an end, I do ask that you would, again, speak to our hearts, that you would encourage us, that you would strengthen us, that you would give us wisdom. Let me ask you this. One, one simple question. Has God spoken to your heart this morning? I have no idea what it could be. I talked about a lot of stuff. But has God spoken to your heart this morning? If he has, and you would say, Pastor, would you pray for me? There is something that, I, that God spoke to my heart about. If that's you, just lift your hand. I'll see it, and I will pray for you. Amen.